Midnight was so good-hearted that when a thin, hairy old lady came to his cottage and told him she was his godmother, he didn't suspect for a moment that it was Trooper O'Grady in disguise. They sat drinking cocoa, and the old woman started to sing a song about midnight. Tis of a wild colonial boy, Captain Midnight was his name. Of poor but honest parents, he was born at... Here the old woman stopped and asked, Where are you born? At Blackadder Creek, said Midnight. If you're my godmother, you should know that. Do you mind if I call it Blackadder Drain? Then my song will almost rhyme. Well, you must do what you think best. I don't know the first thing about poetry. The old woman started again and sang this verse. Tis of a wild colonial boy, Captain Midnight was his name. Of poor but honest parents, he was born at Blackadder Drain. He was his father's only hope, his mother's only joy. And dearly did his parents love the wild colonial boy. That's very nice, said Midnight, with a tear on his cheek as he thought of his father and mother. It's better to come, and the old woman went on. In sixty-six this daring youth commenced his wild career With a heart that knew no danger, no foeman did he fear He stuck up the country mail coach, Judge Pepper he did annoy Who trembling called, gave up his gold to the wild colonial boy That's jolly good, said Midnight, laughing But don't say anything about Trooper O'Grady picking my pocket no, I won't, promised the old woman, and she went on. He bade the judge good morning, and told him to beware, for I'd never rob a hearty chap that acted on the square, but a judge that would rob a mother of her only son and joy is no better than an outlaw, said the wild colonial boy. I didn't say that. Never mind, you forgot to say it. One night as he sat in his lair, the mountain sighed along, a listening to his godmother, her pleasant laughing song. A trooper called O'Grady, well that name he did employ. Midnight, called Cat from the next room. Do you know who that is? Aha, said the old woman. The Siamese Confederate, and she sang in a different voice, reached out and snapped the handcuffs on the wild colonial boy. Shoot, Midnight, shoot, called Cat. Too late, said the old woman, drawing a pistol out of her bosom and sweeping up Midnight's pistols from the table. And this time I'll have the Siamese Confederate too, or die in the attempt. Then you'd better die now, O'Grady, called Cat, and not tire yourself out for nothing. You're under arrest, shouted the old woman, rushing into the room that Cat's voice was coming from. But the room was quite empty, and the window was only open about six inches, far too little for even a very small Siamese man to have got through. Strange, strange, strange she muttered, coming back into the kitchen. 
Are you really O'Grady? said Midnight, staring at the old woman with his mouth open. Yes, indeed, said the old woman with a smile that crinkled up her face. I don't believe you. I am unabright. Take off your hat. The old woman took off her velvet hat with all the flowers and fruit on it, but she still looked like an old woman with hair like a horse's tail. Do you believe me now? No. Take off your hair. The old woman took off her hair and put it on the table, and slowly a smile began to creep across Midnight's face. He looked at the old woman's button-up boots, then he looked from bottom to top of her purple dress, then he looked at her fox fur collar, and finally he looked at O'Grady's face sticking up out of it. Then he threw back his head and laughed until he was weak. What's the matter? said O'Grady, grinning. What's the joke? But Midnight could only gurgle and choke. No, tell me, said O'Grady, starting to laugh himself. Midnight got up from his chair and took O'Grady by the arm and led him to a looking-glass. And when O'Grady saw himself, he shouted, Oh, good grief! and went into hysterics. So Midnight and Trooper O'Grady hung round each other's necks and laughed until they were tired, and until O'Grady had picked all Midnight's pockets. Then O'Grady put the handcuffs on Midnight and took him away again to the great grey jail by the sea. When Midnight and Trooper O'Grady walked to the court the next morning, there was an even bigger crowd of ladies waiting. But this time Midnight was not so shy, and he waved to them quite sternly. Mrs. Chiffle was there, flourishing a flag and cheering, and so was the Governor. Midnight bowed to the Governor, and the Governor took off his hat with the ostrich feathers on it and bowed back. It was lucky that Midnight was holding Trooper O'Grady's hand, or the Governor might have seen that the Trooper was wearing his ring. When Midnight and O'Grady arrived in the dock, which is a kind of cage for prisoners at the bar, Judge Pepper was writing in his book. He had made himself not a bad sort of wig out of one of Midnight's sheepskin shoes. But when he looked up and saw Midnight, his face went purple, and he shouted, Villain! Where's my wig? I've no idea, said Midnight, which was true. I never saw it again after it flew out of the window. Lies, 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 shouted the judge. Do you deny that the preposterous cockatoo is a member of your gang? That's nothing to do with me, said Midnight. If he wants to belong to my gang, I can't stop him. Have you ever tried to stop a cockatoo from doing anything he wanted to do? Guilty, shouted the judge, banging on the bench with his shoe. Guilty of what? Aiding, abetting, procuring, and giggling at the bush-ranging of my wig. Fifty years in the great grey jail. Take him away. So back went Midnight to the clanking, clanging, groaning, echoing prison. And this time they put him in a much stronger cell, with bars that nobody could tear out of the wall. And when night came and the warder brought him his supper, he found that they'd given him a knife and fork made of wood. This is going to be difficult for Cat, said Midnight to himself, as he sat on his bed staring at the stone slabs of the floor between his feet. Just then, he felt a kind of scratching on the underneath of the stone. 
He took his wooden knife and fork and dug around the edge of one of the slabs. And when he lifted it, up came Jip, covered with earth, and kissed Midnight all over his face and inside his ears. Ah, oh, Jip, you're a good friend, said Midnight, kissing him back. Then he wriggled down the tunnel that Jip had dug and sprang onto Red Ned's bare back behind Cat and they galloped away. When they came home to the Hidden Valley, Midnight found that Dora had been worrying about them so much that she'd got quite thin and sensible. But she soon cheered up and was as silly as ever, and she took Midnight for a ride on her back and pretended to be a wild bucking bull, as she used to do when Midnight was a little boy. While Midnight was away from the valley, she had had a beautiful calf, which staggered when it walked, and she was offended with Cat for saying that her baby was drunk. After that, they settled down in the cave again. Cat had a serious talk with Midnight, and this is what he said. We must lie low and give up bush ranging for a while. You are in great danger. There are more troopers and black trackers looking for you than ever there were before. And they know about the cottage in the orchard. And it is possible that the Queen may have bush ranged that from us already. A great many people have seen your face including the governor and Judge Pepper and Trooper O'Grady. The black trackers know about your sheepskin shoes and they may even know Red Ned's hoof marks. We must stay in the valley and never go out or make any fresh tracks because if they track us here, then there is no place in the colony that is safe for us. That's good advice, Cat, said Midnight. And I think we need a holiday, after all this arresting and escaping. Weeks went by without anybody going out of the valley, except Major, who flew and left no tracks. They were all feeling quite safe and rather bored, when one day a startling thing happened. Midnight was down at the gate, mending a place where the kangaroos had broken it, and whistling at his work, when Major came flying overhead calling his danger call, and wheeling in a great circle round and round something in the bush. As Midnight straightened up and listened, he heard the sound of a horse's hoofs coming towards the gate. Dropping his tools, he ran for the cave, and seized his gun and lay down behind a rock to watch the gate. It was not easy to see who was opening the gate because of the rocks and bushes in the way, but it seemed to him that it was a person dressed all in green. He whispered to Cat, who had crept up beside him, Can you see? Who is it? How many people? I can't tell, said Cat, in a serious voice, narrowing his eyes. What shall I do? You have not done a murder yet. This is the time to begin. Must I? You must, said Cat sternly. I'm sorry. By this time, the person who had opened the gate had got back into the saddle and was riding towards the caves. As he peered through the rocks and bushes, Midnight made out that it was a person wearing a long green skirt riding side saddle. It's a lady, gasped Midnight. So it is, said Cat in a wise voice. It's Miss Laura Wellborn, cried Midnight. 
I thought so, said Cat, more wisely still. What shall I do now? asked Midnight. Shoot her, said Cat. Never, cried Midnight, jumping up and leaving the gun behind the rock. I would sooner die. And he tied his handkerchief over his face and pulled down his hat and strode off to meet Miss Laura Wellborn, while Cat slowly and thoughtfully followed. Aha, Captain Midnight, said Miss Laura as he came up. I have tracked you down at last. You have indeed, Miss Wellborn, and I hope you're alone. Quite, quite alone, and rather proud of myself, I do assure you. As you well might be, Miss Wellborn, but you've put yourself in an awkward position. Why, Captain Midnight, what do you mean? I mean that I cannot let you go home again, and you'll have to stay here in the secret hideout for ever after. But how romantic! Do you think so? Truly? Quite delicious. I shall be your maid Marian, and we shall go bush-ranging together, and we shall be the talk and terror of Australia. Midnight was getting very hot under his handkerchief with blushing, and he said, Do you mean that you're going to... going to marry me, Miss Wellborn? Why, not if it makes you so frightened, laughed Miss Laura. Oh, it doesn't make me frightened, said Midnight. It makes me shy. Ah, pure manly heart. Now help me from the saddle, Captain Midnight, and lead me to your dreadful den, and we shall talk about it. So Midnight helped her and took her down, leaning on his trembling arm to the cave, and gave her his best sheepskin to sit on. And all the time, as Miss Laura was saying these things, Cat was looking at her with cold blue eyes. At last, when Miss Laura had admired everything in the cave and had told Midnight the names of all the painters whose pictures it reminded her of, she said, with a beautiful blush, Captain Midnight, Miss Wellborn, said Midnight in a rather shaky voice because he was more in love than ever, would you do something for me? I would do anything, anything at all. Then unveil that face which has been gazed upon by Mrs. Chiffle and five hundred other ladies, but has never been gazed upon by me. My face, Miss Wellborn. Do you want to see my face? Captain Midnight, I yearn, I crave, I thrill in the anticipation of seeing your face. Although Midnight did not always understand the long words that Miss Laura used, he did understand that she wanted to see his face rather a lot. So he took off his hat and pulled down his handkerchief and then stood looking at her expectantly. Whatever it was that he expected, it was not what Miss Laura did, which was to put her hands over her face and burst into tears. Why, Miss Wellborn, what is the matter? You are not handsome at all, and your hair needs cutting, and you're only a boy. I am a young man. Look, feel my face. Whiskers. I hate and despise your preposterous whiskers. Take me home immediately to my father. Oh, cat, sighed Midnight, whose feelings were so hurt that he was more miserable than he'd ever been in his life. What shall I do now? Come 
Outside, whispered Cat, too low for Miss Laura to hear. So Midnight and Cat went out of the cave, and Cat said to Midnight, This is very serious. I know. You cannot take her home. She would tell everybody about the Hidden Valley. I know, but what else can I do? Shoot her. No, she's too beautiful. Well then, the only thing to do is to keep her prisoner. And perhaps when she is used to us, she will be less preposterous. But I doubt it. I should do my best. Midnight sadly went back into the cave and told Miss Laura that she was a prisoner. Is that your last word? Yes. Then Miss Laura said ferociously, You will rue this hour. And she did not speak to Midnight again all that day. He tried to be nice to her by showing her his collections of bird's eggs and butterflies and stones, but she only yawned and made a face as if they were disgusting. She made a face at all the things in the cave, which she had admired before, as if they were disgusting. And when Midnight cooked her supper, which Midnight and Cat thought was a very good supper, if not the best supper they'd ever seen and tasted, she pushed her plate away and made a face as if that was disgusting. But worst of all, when Midnight suggested after supper that she might like to play draughts with him, she made a face as if he was disgusting. After that, she took her sheepskin into a corner and lay down and cried all night in a very loud and public manner. The next day she decided to start talking again. But that was worse than her silence and her faces, because she went out of her way to hurt everybody's feelings. When she saw Midnight and Dora playing at being a bullfighter and a fierce Spanish bull, she said, Master, whatever your name may be, do you think it is wise to excite that ramshackle old cow? She told Major that his voice was like fingernails scraping on a blackboard. She annoyed Jip by calling him Pup and asking him if he'd like her to scratch his tummy. And she embarrassed Red Ned by knowing the names of all the parts of his body and finding fault with them. The only person she was not rude to was Cat. That was because she was clever and had a plan. When night came, Miss Laura sat on her sheepskin next to the lantern and let down all her beautiful hair. She bush-ranged one of Midnight's brand-new hairbrushes, which had never been used, but that did not stop her from making a face as if it was disgusting, and she slowly brushed her hair and sang to herself a beautiful song. She was so pretty, and her hair was so long and lovely, that Cat was fascinated, and he crept up and sat down beside her to watch. Then Miss Laura reached out her hand and began to stroke Cat, as if she hardly noticed what she was doing. And before long, Cat was purring. After a while, Miss Laura said, almost as if she was talking to herself, I think it's very noble-minded of you, you who are so clever, to work and plan for such a stupid boy. He is not exactly stupid, murmured Cat. It is only... Then he realised that he had talked to Miss Laura 
and he looked very foolish. But Miss Laura laughed and went on stroking him. I had guessed your secret. What were you going to say? It is only that he was brought up in a forest by his father and five animals, and he knows hardly anything about human beings. Well, you may call him innocent, but I call him stupid, and I'm glad that I have you to talk to. From that time on, Cat was always with Miss Laura, and he told her things that he'd never told Midnight such as that he was a prince in his own country. Miss Laura clapped her hands and cried, Oh, how romantic! and went on stroking him with great respect. One day, when Midnight was outside the cave and wanted to ask Cat's advice about something, he called for Cat, and Cat did not come. So Midnight went into the cave, and there was Cat, sitting in Miss Laura's lap as usual. Miss Wellborn, said Midnight sternly, I must ask you not to pet my cat when I want him. I cannot think what the boy means, said Miss Laura, to no one in particular. Cat is being so polite as to entertain me. When she said that, Midnight had a funny little pain in his heart. He was jealous of Cat, his best friend. He said, I do not know what Mrs. Chiffle would think of a young lady who spends all her time talking to cats. At least he is a gentleman. A gentleman? Why, he's not even British. I would sooner talk to a Siamese prince than to any uncouth youth whatever. As soon as he heard her call him an uncouth youth, which is a very rude and hurtful thing to say to a young man of seventeen, and Miss Laura knew this when she said it. Midnight strode out of the cave and threw himself down on the grass and swore the worst swear word that he knew, which was not very bad, because he'd been well brought up. As a matter of fact, he said, Darn, 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 about ninety times. When he was tired of swearing, he just lay in the grass with his eyes shut. Presently, he heard a rustle in the grass, and he knew that Cat was sitting beside him, but he only rolled over on his side and turned his back on Cat. Cat reached out and touched Midnight's cheek with a velvet paw. Go away, said Midnight. Midnight, we must do something. What? We must get rid of this lady, or she will break up our gang. Well, that's all very well, but how are we going to get rid of her? I don't know. If she were not so beautiful, we could tie a rock around her neck and sink her in the river. But she is beautiful. I know. And I'm in love with her, said Midnight. So am I, said Cat. And I think she'll be here forever after hurting my feelings more and more. That is out of the question. We shall have to do something, and the something that we shall have to do is going to give us a lot of trouble. What plan is this? We shall have to let her go home.
and we shall have to leave the hidden valley and go somewhere else because we shall never be safe here again. Where can we go? I don't know any other place to live. We could go to the Never Never Desert where all the poets and explorers go to die. There would be no bush ranging to do there, but we might find some new rivers or lakes or something and name them after the Queen. And then she might forgive us for being bush rangers. And we might get gold medals from the Royal Geography Society. That's a good plan, Cat, cried Midnight, growing excited. Come, let us tell Miss Wellborn to go home and start today for the Never Never Desert. It would not be gentlemanly to tell her to go home all alone. She might meet a bush ranger on the way. No, you must take her to some place where her father can fetch her. And the best place I can think of is the Zamia Creek Hotel. Well, we must be gentlemanly, said Midnight. And he went into the cave and said to Miss Laura, Miss Wellborn, we're going to take a ride together and then I'm going to set you free. That does not surprise me said Miss Laura, smiling, for I knew I should win in the end. On the journey, as they walked and cantered through the bush, Miss Laura talked cheerfully to Midnight and Cat and admired Red Ned's noble-mindedness and Jip's cleverness and Major's feathers and was so nice that they were all quite sorry she was leaving them. At last, they came to a clearing in the bush beside a road and in the clearing was the Zamia Creek Hotel.